Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Blink and the rest of the team from the Marvel comic book series Exiles. And joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Uh, For anyone who is unfamiliar, Exiles was a Marvel comic book series that featured various superheroes from various dimensions and various timelines who were all brought together in order to repair damage to the multiverse. It was created by writer Judd Winnick and artist Mike McCone with significant input from the editors Mike Martz and Mike Raitt. And the initial team featured Blink, Nocturne, Morph, Thunderbird, Mimic, and Magnus. Uh, Andrew, this is one of your favorite series. Is that correct in, in Marvel Comics? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of a mix. I mean, it's it's favorite because it's one of my first. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started reading comics, I was borrowing from you and, and John, um, and this was one of the first ones that you gave me. I think you gave me this and generation X pretty early on. And then I think John ended up giving me a big long run on daredevil, um, like the Marvel Knights daredevil run, um, early on. And so those were, were some of the things that, um, I was cutting my teeth with. And so exiles and generation X, um, it kind of gave me a, a deep love of not the core X-Men stuff, but like the broader X-Men universe, you know, because those were things that I, I really got into. Um, and so those are both secondary X-Men titles. And I've always kind of loved secondary X-Men stuff since then. Yeah, I uh, I very much enjoy the X-Men franchise as a whole. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the core X-Men line. But I came into, like, my first comic book was X-Men, Uncanny X-Men number 290-something. I'd have to go double-check exactly which one it is. But I remember the cover very well, so I could easily find it. But um, one thing about that is that that, that was a period when there had just been one long-running X-Men title. And pretty soon after I started reading X-Men comics, they started to do these spin-off uh, or not spin off, but these secondary titles, as you, as you refer to them, where it's going to be a team book of not the core X-Men characters. And that was, um, well, I guess New Mutants had been going by already at that point, but I hadn't really picked that one up. But there were more and more that were started to come up as I was becoming a reader of comic books. And while I loved the main X-Men line, there was always the fact that I was holding issue, you know, number 304. And it was like, I wish I could find out everything that happened before, but I can't. And then these new secondary titles started to come out that had issues number one. And it was like, I can actually follow everything. I can know everything that's ever happened in Generation X, right? That, you know, that one of the titles you referenced um, or Exiles. And so it became very uh, exciting for me as like a young reader to say like, oh, I really want to follow this team. This is going to be the title that I get every issue of. I'm going to make sure I go every month to the comic shop and I'm able to pick up the next issue. Um, by the time Exiles comes out, which is in uh, 2001, I believe it is, uh, like that, that wasn't as much of a pool for me. Uh, I was in college, uh, and, but but I still had like, like I, I understand what you're talking about where like sometimes I think for for new readers coming into the vast sprawling Marvel universe 
new secondary titles of popular franchises can be very appealing for that reason, or at least at that point. They've they've altered their publication structures quite a lot to try and yeah. uh, lure in new readers where um, a lot of those old mainstay titles that had hundreds of issues have been renumbered back to number one, or now it's almost like almost everything is just a mini series where it's going to go six, 12 or 18 issues, but then it's going to get rebooted back to an issue. Number one, uh, to be more uh, appealing and inviting to, to new readers coming in and not feeling the weight of continuity. And, um, and I think some of that is also for, um, I think in the two thousands, the creator appeal was less significant. Like you were buying things because it was Marvel, because it was DC, because it was the characters. And I think in, by like the, 2010s um you definitely start getting a bigger influence of you know brian michael bendis you know like people are reading what brian michael bendis writes and when he goes off of the title and someone else comes on there's going to be a natural shift and so they say okay let's renumber when we change creators Mm -hmm. and 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 there was i i think more of an uh, an idea that when the creator was finishing up their run, they closed off their storylines whereas before Mm -hmm. it was more like this is one never-ending story uh, and, and if a creator leaves for some reason, the new creator has to pick up those story threads exactly where they were. Uh, and now, because a lot of the focus is on trade paperbacks where they want to be able to sell you, like here's Brian My- Michael Bendis's run on Avengers in you know four volumes or whatever it is, you know, and, and you're going to get his whole entire story. Uh, it's less of like the continuing never ending adventures and more. Here is a chapter in the life of these characters that has a beginning, middle, and end. And and I think um, the 2000s was when that also really shift from. The idea that you would get a long run from any creator, Um, you know, especially a creative team is going to be a short run. But any one writer or artist staying on a title for a long time is, you know, it just doesn't happen so much anymore. And and really the 2000s, I think, is when that was wrapping up. You would get somebody who was staying on for 50, 60 issues. And like now it's kind of surprising to see somebody stay on for 20 issues. At a time. Yeah. Um, and, they, they just rotate differently. And it's very rare to get a, a, a team because so many of the main comics uh, issues, at least for now, have have resorted to double shipping where like the new, you know, the Batman comic book series is going to release or the core Batman title is going to release two titles a month. And an artist uh, in the modern environment just doesn't keep up with that pace. Most artists mm-hmm. can do one, one comic a month. So you're going to get uh lead alternating storylines or yeah, alternating, alternating story times where they, they give you a lead time to to like well, okay you're gonna do these four issues and they're gonna publish in six months so get these four issues done and then the writer is writing the next issues but they're being handed to another artist okay the next story arc of five issues is gonna go to this other artist and they're gonna start working on them right now um so yeah uh, the the way the business side of everything is done is, is very different than it was even uh 20 years ago when this series started a um, little bit of trivia about Exiles. Uh, so the series was an effort to carry on the tradition of Marvel's What If comic book series, which um, was always, for me, a really fun uh, exercise where the uh, uh, writers would take key storylines from uh, moments in Marvel's past and say, what if this other thing had happened? Uh, and, and so, but it was always a self-contained single issue. There was no ongoing uh, ongoing storyline to follow. Uh, with the characters uh, and it ran for the, the, at least the first volume of it ran for over a hundred issues. I'm pretty sure. And then periodically Marvel has done more what ifs, uh, you know, based on uh, some of the, the biggest events. So like, what if uncle Ben lived, you know, that, that sort of thing. Well, you know, the, the big events in, in uh, that have defined characters. Uh, what if, what if some other, turn of events that happened and so we get this peek into essentially an alternate timeline 
Um, and they by by 2000 when they were doing this that that kind of ended other than those periodic specials that they put out but they said what if we could do a, you know a continuing series with more of a through line uh that, that you'll follow narratively so they give us a core set of characters um like i said there's this team that we get uh who are going to be hopping from dimension to dimension which we started to kind of think about examples of this so like for tv there's like sliders but it's probably the most notable 90s you know well any era but night you know the 90s mm-hmm. tv show idea of, of characters that are going to show up in a different world uh every time uh they go but then you also do get a flavor um because the, the team of exiles are being sent into these dimensions to fix something wrong with the timeline and prevent damage to the multiverse as uh you know if this one event doesn't go exactly right or or goes the way it's heading right now it's actually going to ripple out and affect other timelines and be very bad uh long term for the entire multiverse so you start to get um some feelings of like doctor who or quantum leap uh or even use of like kind of uh in a way you get even like zoe's extraordinary playlist uh the the more recent tv show in the sense that um for exiles you they're given kind of vague guidelines like go yeah, like here's your prompt yeah now and, respond to it right you you're being told something so that you can do something Mm-hmm. You have to figure out what to do and how to do it. There's no clear instructions. Uh, you just kind of have a goal of fixing a problem. And so the exiles keep getting dumped into timelines and being told uh, some vague thing like, go find uh, your leader, uh, <laughs> you know, something like that. And and they're like, wait, okay, that's that's all we get. Um, or, or I know in um, in uh, there's an issue much farther down in the run um, where the issue is just about butterfly effect. And so they get dropped in the timeline and says, go buy the last Danish at this bakery. (laughs) That's what it is. Like, that's it. And he's like, hey, it's what it says. And it means we don't have to fight people. I'm going to go do it. And then it shows like the chain of events that leads to that actually saving the planet from being destroyed. Yeah. Um, And so the the reason I said it, the... um a bit more about the series. I said it was uh, created by Judd Winnick and Mike McComb, but with input from the editors, Mike Martz and, and Mike Rate. They were the two who were like, we, we've got to find a way to do what if again, um, but make it different than what we were doing before. And so they were really pushing this concept. And like I said, uh, Judd Winnick was the writer and Mike McComb was the artist. Judd Winnick uh, has a very interesting career path. Um, he appeared on MTV's The Real World uh, in 1994 and uh, he became friends with his castmate, uh, Pedro Zamora. And Pedro died from AIDS that, that year, like after they finished filming, very soon after he died from AIDS-related uh, complications. And Judd Winnick wrote an autobiographical graphic novel called Pedro and Me, which won all sorts of awards and lots of praise. Um, and then pretty soon after, he began writing for DC and then pretty soon after that, writing for Marvel. And he's he's definitely floated, he, like he's still a consistent you know, in the last 20 years, I'm sure he's still done lots uh, since then. He's a name that you definitely hear popping up. Um, he also married uh, one of his the castmates from that real world uh, uh, run, um, but he's became uh, become a big advocate for um, AIDS related issues after his friendship with Pedro, uh, who, who um, he met doing doing the real, real world. And then I also, in looking up some trivia about the series, uh, he it said Judd Winnick, um, not as a writer but as an illustrator, he illustrated over three hundred books in the the Complete Idiots Guide series of books. You know, the Complete Idiots Guide to X, Y, or Z. He was one of the main illustrators for that whole series. Over 300. That's a lot of books he was illustrating. That is steady work. Yes. <laughs> like you don't get that by dabbling. 
No, yeah, he was. Uh, well, and, and um, like I said, his his breakout graphic novel uh, he wrote, and I'm pretty sure illustrated. I should probably double check that. But I think he was the sole creator on Pedro and Me. Um, in superhero comics, he is known for his writing. Um, I, I can't think of anything. I, it's entirely possible he's illustrated something, but uh, just as a fan of superhero comics, I knew him as a writer of superhero comics, um, not as an illustrator. But apparently, he's got got talent there as well. Um, the Exile series uh, as a whole, it ran for over 100 issues, uh, and then there were brief revivals as New Exiles, and they've released Exiles Volume 2 and very recently Exiles Volume 3, uh, where they uh, do, uh, I don't think any of those have lasted 20 issues even, I think 18 and then like 12, and I think the last one, Volume 3, was 6, which, again, there's massive changes in the market of comic books it's not a, not a, not a fair failure. comparison yeah uh like like six issues is, is probably what was planned uh like they said okay we're gonna go to six issues of exile sometimes just to hold on to the trademark sometimes just because a creator had a really good pitch uh mm-hmm. or um and and uh, or an editor really wanted to go re- revisit something but they're they're often now planned for uh very self-contained runs on these titles well yeah, before- i'd say the the oh, biggest ahead. titles like spider-man um, they plan them for for longer runs, but even then, it's going to be relatively self-contained. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just interesting the ebbs and flows of comic book publishing. And um, you know, in our quick cast, we've talked a lot about how much the uh, film has been affected by COVID nineteen uh, in recent years. With you know, the whole box office shutting down and several things going straight to video. Um, that previously had been planned for theatrical release, but the comic book industry also got very rocked uh, by uh, distribution and stopping entirely in March um, and nothing shipping. And uh, DC has changed how they're going to distribute comics to local comic shops, which is, which is a huge industry deal. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when uh, like they hold 30% of the shares of sales each month, you know, 30% of all comic books is a DC comic book on a monthly basis. And so if you're changing the means of distribution for that, it's significant. Yeah. And uh, there's rumblings or, or speculation that things may be shifting even more where uh, single issues will be much more digitally focused, rather like digital release focused, but they'll then print the collections of those stories. Uh, so if you want a regular fix of Batman, you've got to get the digital issues or you can wait for a trade paperback that collects the entire story. That's just speculation at this point, but it seems like things are um, reacting to, uh, after all the disruption that happened for COVID-19. So everything that we just explained about how things are different, it's probably going to be different again in five years. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we summarize these, uh, we're going to be talking about the first four issues of Exiles. Before we summarize that, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts. Uh, Those are shorter episodes in which we talk about uh, all the stories and media that we've been consuming in the last month. Uh, And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So on to the summaries of these first four issues. In issue number one, we have no explanation of anything at the beginning. Blink, who is <laughs> uh, this uh, 
we'll go a little into the history of her uh, to explain some of where this came from. But uh, for now, you just need to know she's this pink-skinned mutant who can open portals uh, that uh, that will allow her to transport to another place. So she opens a portal, pops it, pops through, and she falls through a portal and lands in a desert. She's uh, soon joined by several characters that she does not know. One is named Nocturne, and then we meet Morph, Thunderbird, Mimic, and Magnus. Uh, and they see a random kitchen in the desert with what looks like a butler who is working in it. And this butler explains that he is the time broker. Each one from this group is actually coming from a different dimension. As the time broker, his role is to stop what he calls hiccups in individual timelines that could have a very adverse effect on the entire multiverse. This team has been chosen to go into those timelines that are about to experience a hiccup and carry out missions on his behalf to prevent those disruptions. We get a quick background on each character. Blink came from a war-torn dimension called the Age of Apocalypse, where all she knew was death and battle. Nocturne is the daughter of Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch in her dimension, and was a member of the X-Men. Morph is a goofball shapeshifter who had been on the X-Men and the Avengers in his timeline. Thunderbird was a hero uh, who was captured by Apocalypse and tortured and altered into becoming one of uh, the Horsemen of Apocalypse. And I think, real quick, worth pointing out, the apocalypse being discussed in that case is different dimension from the age of apocalypse that blink comes from. Yes. Uh, and um, mimic uh, was a villain who was inspired by the X-Men to become a hero. And he became the leader of the X-Men and ended prejudice against mutants in his timeline. Uh, Magnus, uh, the last one is the son of Magneto and rogue uh, in his timeline. He developed uh, the mutant power that anything he touched would turn to metal. And he accidentally, uh, as his powers were developing and they didn't yet know what they were, he touched his mother and Rogue uh, was turned uh, into metal and he killed his mother. So he has a, a tragic backstory. Uh, to bring them here, the Time Broker had to unhinge them from time. And that what, the way, what he explains is something terrible was about to happen to each of them when he pulled them here. And if they serve him well, he will return them to their timelines with a fix in place so that whatever that bad thing was doesn't actually happen to them. Uh, but for now, they're, they've been separated from their timelines, and uh, if anything happens to them now, their timelines will just continue on without them because something terrible is about to happen to them in their timeline anyway. Um, and then he adds in that uh, as his helpers, they're going to follow the instructions of the talus, and the talus appears on Blink's wrist. It is this mystical object uh, that is essentially going to uh, teleport them from dimension to dimension and then give vague instructions of what needs to be done. And so we've been given this background on each character. They've been told what their new situation is, and they get transported into a new world. Uh, and ta- uh, Blink is the only one who can hear the instructions from the talus. And all she hears is find the one who would lead you find your greatest teacher. And uh, all the other X-Men say Professor X. Uh, and she doesn't know who that is because in uh, after we go through this, I'll explain the age of apocalypse just a little bit. Uh, so, so, <laughs> well, and, it, so like this is going to be, I think a, a different type of summary that, that you're going through and I, and I'll help you through it because the it's, it's being a, a reality jumping story reality jumping characters and everything it is it requires a certain amount of encyclopedic knowledge of melodramatic and soap operatic history of comic books right Mm -hmm. like you need a certain kind of context for what's about to happen in the stories and so for our listeners like okay you're kind of just gonna have to go with joseph as he as he describes all of this because if you explain it all it's going to take 
20 times longer than the actual stories. Uh, well, and even then, like, the hook for each of these characters is, um, like, versions of those characters have existed in the Marvel Universe. Longtime readers would know them, but not, like, the ones we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so it's kind of like, well, what's different? And that's where some of the points of interest can come. Uh, so maybe not as enticing for pe- new readers. I don't know. It, it, it'd be an interesting experiment to just hand this to someone. I, you said it was one of your first comics, right? So Yeah, but I had grown up watching, you yeah, know, the, like the cartoon x-men series and we had all all those cards and so i had a certain amount of just um osmosis driven knowledge um about what was going on and then you know it got me enough buy-in yeah and if you don't have at least some of that fundamental starting point like i think the buy-in could be pretty tough Mm mm-hmm uh, I, I mean, they're trying to give you a lot of that starting point with the first half of this issue is here's everyone's backstories, which and, they do and, it really efficiently. Yeah, like, it is they, they do very economic job. storytelling. I was impressed in this first issue uh, in how well Judd Winnick is and, and Mike McCone are able to set the table. So uh, they're on this new world and they have that instruction that and everyone assumes they need to go find Professor X. So they go uh, get onto the Internet to find out some about this world. And they realize in this world, anyone with superpowers has been locked up, uh, though the world feared uh, the change, uh, not just of mutants, but anyone with, with superpowers at all. Uh, but they're able to find out where Professor Xavier is being held, uh, or Charles Xavier in this in this world, not Professor. Uh, they go and free him, and everyone's excited. They freed their greatest leader. He's going to help the super-powered uh, people find peace on this earth. And he immediately attacks the team and vows revenge on human- humanity that had locked him up. So uh, now he is... Uh, heading out to attack everyone. He goes and frees other superheroes, and the team realizes we may have misunderstood the very vague and unspecific instructions we've been given by the Talus, uh, and they conclude we actually need to go free Magneto, not uh, not Professor X. Uh, they find out where Magneto is because uh, they're able to realize that uh, a mutant named Forge who can create any technology must be helping the government because the government has far more advanced technology uh, than they than they would expect in this world without the Fantastic Four or Iron Man or other scientists who are pushing it forward. So they go and capture Forge, force him to tell him where Magneto is being held and how. Uh, at the same time that, again, Professor Xavier is now freeing some of the other superpowered people and essentially declaring war on humanity. As the team tries to go free Magneto, uh, they realize the prison has been engineered in such a way that it's impossible to free him. Uh, But Magnus says, I can stop the booby traps from going, but it means I'm going to sacrifice myself. Everyone says, don't do that. But he forces, you know, he he shoves them all away and then does sacrifice himself. Uh, And so we've lost our first team member as the group is able to free uh, Magnus uh, while Mimic actually is able to You mean Magneto. Or sorry, yeah, Magneto. Free Magneto. So now we have Magneto free, and in the battle, uh, trying to stop Professor X, Mimic kills this universe's Professor X, and now Magneto is going to be uh, the one that will peacefully try and uh, allow the superpowered mutants or or individuals in this universe to coexist with, with the regular humans. But we don't find out how that goes for him because immediately the team is teleported to a new location. And this location is one of the most famous stories in Marvel Comics history. It is the trial of Jean Grey as the Phoenix uh, at the resolution of what was called the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, In that storyline, Jean Grey, one of the original members of the X-Men, had been imbued with this cosmic force called the Phoenix Force uh, and had uh, gone somewhat evil, eating a solar system. Uh, (laughs) 
and and uh, the alien Shi'ar Empire was going to put her on trial. Now, in our universe, we find out that it wasn't actually Jean Grey who had gone evil. It had just been the Phoenix Force had taken on her form and put Jean Grey into cocoon. So uh, during this trial, it was never actually Jean Grey. And everyone realizes this later when Jean Grey returns. So that's, team... that's what I'm talking about, like soap operatic context. Yes. So this team arrives here and they find out their mission from the Talus is to ensure that Jean Grey dies at the trial of Jean Grey. And they all kind of say, oh, well, it won't really matter because this is just the Phoenix Force. We all, everyone again, but Blink is like, well, we've seen versions of this. We know how this goes. But then she says, no, the Talus is saying this. What in this reality, it really is Jean Grey. So uh, many of these uh, characters from the Exiles uh, in their universe are members of the X-Men and are are very fond of uh, Jean Grey. So this is going to be a harder task uh, than than they anticipated to essentially ensure that she dies. Oh, and I forgot to mention. I, I think at the beginning of this uh, at the beginning of this issue, uh, a new person has been unhitched from time because Magnus died in the last issue. So they get a new member of their team who is uh, Sunfire, uh, and it's again just a twist on an existing character in the regular Marvel universe. Uh, in this case, combining a couple characters. Uh, that that are in ours uh, into this new version of Sunfire. So now the team, uh, they go and pretend to be aliens that want to ensure that Phoenix is uh, held on trial because they say she she attacked their their world. But they're very concerned about uh, the X-Men recognizing their scent or e- even who they are. So they disguise themselves, try and hide themselves. But Wolverine can see right through that. And he goes and confronts Mimic because in this universe, Mimic and Wolverine uh, were friends, same as in Mimic's universe. Uh, and Mimic knows there's no way I can explain this to Wolverine and he would let me make sure Gene dies. So I just have to try and fight Wolverine and take him out. And there's a brutal fight uh, when they, they uh, just go all out trying uh, to stop one another. Wolverine not quite understanding why Mimic is here or what he's planning. Eventually, Mimic does win that fight and is able to knock Wolverine unconscious, but because of Wolverine's healing power, they know that won't last. Uh, now, the next issue begins with us seeing Wolverine healing, but saying, I don't know what's going on, and we find out one of Nocturne's powers is that she can possess other people's bodies. So Nocturne has taken uh, control of Wolverine's uh, mind and is making him say these things so that the X-Men don't get suspicious. And then uh, we see the trial carry out and Jean Grey is uh, uh, sentenced to death, but the X-Men and Jean Grey are going to fight this and there's a giant battle and I'm going to skip yeah, trial all by the, combat, all the punchy, team punchy combat. fight, fight. Uh, and just say Jean Grey in this, it, the universe does go very bad and begins killing the X-Men. So they turn on her as well and team up with the exiles to be able to stop her. Uh, and, but Jean Grey is besides being super powerful, she's psychic. So she sees everyone's plans uh, before they, they're able to carry them out. Uh, but the final move that they're able to do is this universe's Wolverine does wake up from having been possessed by Nocturne and attacked by Mimic and um, is uh, being flown by a character named Angel at Jean Grey. And just as Jean Grey sees them coming and is going to turn to stop them, Blink throws a portal uh, that moves Wolverine and Angel uh, from right in front of Jean Grey, where she was about to kill them, uh, to right behind them, where Wolverine is able to stab Jean Grey and carry out the Exiles mission. And then at the end, uh, the Exiles are now linked into a new universe, and we don't know what their new timeline is going to be. It's a really, like, it's a weird thing to summarize, like I said, because it is pretty concise in the storytelling, but you have to provide so much context for this um, to to understand it, right? It's so much based on foreknowledge 
and established canon and characters that you're familiar with and scenarios that you're familiar with and all of that sort of stuff. It's very much playing in a sandbox so that the expectation is the readers know what the sandbox is and what these characters are. So they are kind of tickled or or intrigued with the twists that are being presented on these classic characters. Yeah. So um, one of the one of the thoughts I had um, while going through this and and then knowing that this goes for um you know, a hundred issues. This is a, it's a pretty sizable thing. If they're doing, you know, two to five issues per world, then you're talking about somewhere between 20 and 50, uh, different realities that they explore theoretically, um, with these characters. And I thought it's like, okay, it's sort of like just saying, okay, we're going to bounce around between all of this fan fiction. We've talked about fan fiction before where, you know, people are building this, what if sort of scenario and all of that. And it's like, okay, now we're just going to, go crazy with that. It's, you know, officially sanctioned fan fiction where yes, you can do this. Yes. You're using real characters. These are real Marvel characters. This is real Marvel comics and none of it counts because everything's a separate reality. Yeah. And you know, every reality is going to get a one to two sentence description. It's like, here's why this one's different. Okay. You know, they, they locked up all the super people. Uh, Xavier's bad. Magneto's good. Here's why this one's different. You know, it's actually Jean gray and she's going to actually turn bad. So you got to kill her. You know, and so you have this really brief descriptor and then it's like now play in the in the fan fiction world and do whatever you want. What What's really interesting, I think, about the series is that in part it was created to carry on a fan favorite character from one of these alternate dimensions who is Blink. Um, a little bit before Exiles happened, there was a giant X-Men crossover called Age of Apocalypse in which the whole point of the series was uh, imagining a world where Professor X had never lived. Um, and in that storyline, through time travel, a character from the present goes to the past, is trying to kill Magneto to help out Xavier, uh, viewing Magneto as the great impediment to all of Xavier's uh, dreams being achieved, but then accidentally kills Xavier in the past, and it resets everything uh, into this hellish world called the Age of Apocalypse, where um, without Xavier leading the X-Men to stop uh, uh, this villain named Apocalypse, Apocalypse apocalypse was able to take over the world and essentially uh make it the the worst version of of a reality now in age of apocalypse there was of course the twisted versions of characters we knew but then they also threw in some new mutants and one of whom was was blink uh a character that was really created just for the age of apocalypse no expectation that anything would happen but fans really latched onto blink uh and so it wasn't just uh those editors saying how can we carry on the what if series it was also like fans really like blink but we're uh resetting age of apocalypse reality away like in the end uh, of that storyline uh the people from the the hellish age of apocalypse world are able to go back in time stop that one person from killing professor xavier and everything resets and so the age of apocalypse technically was never going to exist in the logic of uh of the marvel universe uh but then they they realized they had this character named blink who had proved very popular uh and so that's why they unhinged her from time from that age of apocalypse uh just before her world stopped existing and brought her into uh this universe of exiles so like when you're saying like everything is is in is fan fiction uh you know of oh what if you know th this twist had happened in, in some ways the, the the whole origin of the series was well what can i continue writing fan fiction for this one really popular character that resonated far more than was expected uh, mm -hmm. when she was created. Yeah, you've got like this featured character like, OK, but that was just supposed to be part of this one story. How do we make that bigger? Mm -hmm. You know, in the grand scheme of things, because we 
like all we were doing was playing in this other side of the sandbox. We're about to, you know, scrape it clean like a Zen garden, but I want to keep something from that sandbox. <laughs> yes. Uh, and in the world that we're, we're, we're told, we're told like Mimic is one of the greatest leaders in the history of mutants in his universe. Like he actually achieved uh, a peaceful coexistence between mutants and, 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 uh, and humans. But for the exiles, uh, there's a couple of things that signify like Blink is really going to be our core character. So one, she's the one that's given the talus uh, initially. Like she's the one that's getting the missions and and knows what to do. But then in the that second storyline uh, with uh, them needing to ensure that Jean Grey dies, uh, Blink, uh, Mimic has this conversation with Blink where she where he kind of says, "You because of your origins, you don't actually know everyone." Where it seems like every world that we're going to, I know people and I don't know that I can make the hard decisions that are going to have to be made. You need to be the leader because you, your entire life was hard decisions, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and so blink, you need to lead the exiles. Uh, and, and so it, it's again, like just centering her character as um, the fan favorite from age of apocalypse. Now she's going to be part of the core of exiles. And I think that's really important for this series to work um, because they're establishing a team of, of, variations that everyone knows well this isn't the real character right this isn't the Mm -hmm. real version of the character from our universe therefore like i think there's a natural feeling they're not going to count as much uh for for fans but blink this is the only version of blink right that's going to to exist so they're 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 ensuring that that hook is um put in with uh like this is the only place you're going to follow adventures of of blink like you in our universe, we know what happened to Mimic. We know what happened to Thunderbird. You know, like all these characters. Um, but but Blink is going to be one of those centering points for fandom uh, to be able to follow along. And for the entire premise of the series, so much of it is actually going to feel, I think, a little superfluous or a little like, well, what are the stakes? Why why should we care about these characters? And so having Blink at the center, I think, is really important for the series to work. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting that Exiles was as successful as it was because it's it, it's not just a spin-off. It's not, you know, Angel from Buffy or um, Torchwood from Doctor Who. It's a spin-off from just like a little set of three episodes of a show where it's like, actually, <laughs> yes. it does not tie into the rest of it. You know, it's like this is like what what is the next level out from a spin-off? Yeah, and um, then th- there's this other thing with Exiles where there are, like, we know these are alternate dimension characters, uh, but then they establish at the very beginning, hey, we may c- kill any, any of these characters at any time. So in our first adventure, we're going to kill Magnus, which is a move that um, some creators do to establish stakes, right? Uh, so famously, Joss Whedon uh, with, with Buffy kills uh xander's best friend in the first episode and he had wanted but couldn't do it because of funding he had wanted that character to be in the opening credits so that everyone assumed this was going to be one of the core cast moving forward and then they get killed in the first episode uh but then in angel he does do that with um oh is it Boyle? is that the name of the the demon uh yeah he's in like half half a season yeah he's in the opening credits and he seems to be uh in in some ways like the the information broker for angel uh he's going to be uh, explaining, uh, you know, what their mission is, what's, what's going to be happening. And he's, uh, you know, got uh, a fun personality. Everyone gets attached to him. And then Joss Whedon killed him off in the first season. And he said, I just needed you to, as viewers to know that these stories were going to have consequences. Uh, because when, when everyone is safe every single week, we start 
we stop fearing, you know, for what might happen. Uh, but I, I think with exiles, the danger is maybe the opposite could happen that everyone feels a little too expendable, uh, that, that, mm-hmm. and you know, that anything could happen because they're going into these weird worlds where strange things have happened as at least from our point of view as readers, but then also these characters have, uh, you know, these aren't going to be carrying on, uh, the franchises, you know, like the way a popular X-Men character will go get their own series. Um, this is already like, a subset of the subset of the Marvel universe, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, the, the, and, way over here. <laughs> um, and so like, and that's kind of stacked from a few different points in this series. Like you're starting out with the fact that it's like, okay, all of them are from alternate realities. And also none of them are top tier X-Men characters. I mean, everyone's from, from the X-Men universe and you're going to recognize names to some degree. Um, some of them are, are completely new, like Nocturne. Um, and so her stuff is just, well, I'm I'm descended from a known character, but it's like you did not pull in an alternate universe Wolverine. You did not pull in an alternate universe Cyclops. You know, this is not the core team. This is, you know, secondary team stuff. And so it's like you maybe put it a little too far from the core. You know, if they had brought in, you know, a Wolverine or a Magneto and then had them sacrifice themselves. It's like, OK, so just because somebody's a big name doesn't mean that they're going to last. Yeah, I think it's a tricky um, tightrope to walk for a storyteller. Um, within the larger Marvel universe, you know this series is is like several steps removed. Um, but I think they do, like we said, you know, it's a, it's a long-run comic. It definitely developed a, a strong fan following, and it's been revived several times. So I think they, they do walk it very well. And I was really impressed with that first issue, how quickly they were able to establish all the strangeness of what this is. Um, it's kind of a, a getting the team together montage, but without uh, the sense that all these people have a history together. It's just, no, we, we got the team together. <laughs> like time broker it's, got the team together. And, and like, kind <laughs> of like explicitly, none of you have history together. Get over it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and now you're a team. Uh, so, so here we go. Like, like so often with the, with the, the team together, it's like, Oh, I know this person from X, Y, and Z. And, and that's the fun is like, Oh, what, what hints of pasts are going to be given in this one. It's like, Oh, here's everyone's origin story. And now carry on. Uh, and to, I to think the first adventure, I think that is like a pretty interesting and unique dynamic that you can get from something like this, where it's, um, it, it's kind of second tier X-Men stuff where they can say, look, like, I'm not going to spend a ton of time doing like team building and like, can you get the team together? Can you guys work as a team? I'm saying you guys have never worked as a team, but you have all been parts of a team in a lot of cases, the same team in different realities. I'm going to trust that you can be a team. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to work with a lot of like, they don't, they don't fight over who's the leader. And that would be a pretty typical thing in a new team thing. This is actually one of the only times I can think of um, bringing new comic book characters together and they don't have a fight. You know, this is not what happens in the Avengers movies where Captain America and Tony Stark and Thor fight each other in the first half of the movie. You know, it's not the classic comic book thing. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I think there's a lot of classic comic book beats that are within this. So I was thinking about like the team selection, like what, what do we have um, in the, in this team? And so, so it's um, six people, right? Is the, the main roster. Yes. And it seems like at least from what we're given in these first two story arcs, there will always be six. Then if something happens to one of them, then, 
then there'll be a, a new person unhinged from their timeline that is brought in um, and with the promise again for each of these that they can be returned. And I think in the hundred issues, some, do some of these characters get returned to their timeline? It's been a very long time since I read any of these. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a while for me. I've got the the collection in volumes um, in the in the trades. And so I'm not sure either. I, I know that they get complicated, mm-hmm. you know, like 100 issues is is a lot of story to explore. Like I would imagine just from my familiarity with these types of stories, someone's going to be offered the chance to return their original timeline and maybe reject it. Maybe oh, it that's like got to happen at least once. And maybe they, it looks like they accepted it, but then they come back, you know, <laughs> you know, four issues later, they're suddenly back, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, there is also that hanging over all of this is not just anyone could die, but they're, the goal is actually to, to leave the team. Uh, at least that's the stakes that we're told uh, in, in, in the opening issue. But yeah, we have, um, so yeah, Blink, Nocturne, Morph, Thunderbird, Mimic, and Magnus. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and like the most identifiable as far as like superhero team role is Thunderbird. He is just the quiet muscle. Yeah, he's, uh, he's the, the big guy, the brute. Um, where he, he's quiet, but hints of emotional depth there, but he's never going to be a talker about whatever it is that he's feeling. But we see moments that make, you know, he's, he's, he's hurting inside, you know? Yeah. Um, I'd say one of the next most identifiable things is morph being the comic relief. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's really easy to identify him as that. He is the levity. He is the comic relief. Um, he's a shapeshifter. So he's constantly changing between panels into you know just a a comedic visual yeah then yeah the, where if you don't miss it like if you don't look at him in the background of a shot you are probably missing a joke because the artist is including uh visual gags with uh more uh be it his facial reactions uh or or just whatever he has changed himself into uh but sometimes it's not drawn attention to it's just in the background of a pa- panel he's he's making a visual joke yeah um so he is is the levity and the comic relief um, and that leaves us with the four other characters, which are um, Blink, Mimic, Nocturne, and Magnus. I think let's talk about Magnus next. Um, he is the one that disappears earliest. And so his like his role early on is to be the example of expendability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, like but, initially... he's, but he functions in the story. Yes. And I think he was uh, there as like the... Um for for superheroes like the energy powers right he he's the one that has magnetic powers uh but then also a curse so so you could see like the brooding angle potentially coming for him uh mm-hmm. but then he just sacrifices himself in the in the first storyline uh so so we don't even get get that far uh with it but i i think absolutely you're right in identifying that his role is to sell the stakes of this this story uh that's going to be told that any one of these characters could die on any of these missions and then we would meet someone else but i think it's also like they didn't make him unlikable they they wanted you to be like oh this guy is great he's noble he's solid oh he's gone um they didn't want it to be like oh this guy sucks and don't worry if somebody sucks we're gonna get rid of him Mm -hmm. Um, yeah you know i think they made an effort to make everybody likable um which not every team is gonna have Yes, uh, and famously, sometimes the, the creators kind of lose control of a character, and they they end up being a jerk when they were just they weren't intended to be, you know, the jerk of the team. It's just kind of mm-hmm. they end up becoming that. Um, I think Blink and Mimic 
both end up in that leader role. Uh, like F, for the first story arc, we assume it's going to be Mimic that's the leader, even though Blink has a talus. And then in the second story arc, uh, Mimic says to her, no, you you be the leader, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they they ultimately become the the main romantic pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that is even hinted at early on. And then it's pretty explicit within, you know, the first 10 issues. It's like, look, these guys are going to be a couple. So if you need a romantic draw, here it is. Um, yeah, and, and again, uh, I found so we. I just moved to a new house, um, and I knew this was going to be one of the first uh, topics that we talked about uh, when we got back to recording episodes of the protagonist podcast. So I was keeping an eye out for the things that were labeled exiles, um, and I was able to find. I have at least the first eighty-six issues. That's what I found in my first. Uh, you know, as I was moving stuff and, and trying to pull this, um, and I do remember them being together so i can't remember if it gets drawn out as a will they won't they or if it just becomes they're the romantic pairing within this i think it's i think it's fairly straightforward i think they're together by the end of my first volume okay um as like this is a couple but like their priority is not their relationship their priority is doing the missions and everything but they are forming a relationship okay and then what do we have for nocturne as a character she um i mean like i can picture her character pretty specifically it's harder for me to try and identify like what is she like her role as, on the team it, it as, as a role on the like, team yeah. yeah like i mean so she is the i mean she's almost the rebellious one or the troublemaker i but, was gonna say the enigmatic one the one that yeah uh, like when we were given uh the background for all these characters in that in in that first issue all we were told about her was that her her father was nightcrawler and she was one of the x-men we weren't really told what her powers were so it's actually a surprise in issue four when we find out that she was possessing wolverine like Mm -hmm. that that had not been revealed and when that happened i was like oh okay i kind of remember that and it's also not till i think issue four that we find out that scarlet witch who was a very prominent uh character in uh in, in marvel comics and uh, has been included in the the avengers films you know like that's how, mm-hmm. how big of a name she is uh is her mother so i think the plan is that she's gonna be the one that has a bit of mystery that gets doled out slowly um across. yeah because and... there's so much of an information dump on every other character uh and we, it feels like we got an information dump but we quickly are finding out that there's more to her than we knew yeah and the in uh issue three or four she's the one who is like okay i'm going off on my own so it's a little bit of the loner character too. You so know, they, I don't, I don't feel like I fit in in this group of misfits anyway. In, in the world of the X Men, she's a bit of the Wolverine uh, character on the team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I'm gonna go do my own thing. I've got my own stuff. I am, I am dealing with my own stuff. It, yeah, she doesn't feel quite as much of a team player, um, at least in this stuff early on. And my memory again, this this is an era uh, like it ends up being an era of uh, X Men where like from 2010 on that I, I am somewhat aware of, but I've not read nearly as much as like the 60s through 2000. Um, but my memory is that she kind of becomes one of the the fan favorite characters from this team, and I even gets pulled into the main Marvel universe for a while because um, amongst all these twists uh, of, of classic characters and other things uh there was something that definitely popped about her maybe in that she was just her own character being 
being brought in. And so it was sort of like mm-hmm. Blink being so popular in Age of Apocalypse that they had to give her her own uh, team series here in Exiles. Nocturne ends up being so popular that they try pulling her into the main Marvel universe. Though I don't think she's ever had as much of an impact as maybe they were planning or, or you know, like maybe whatever creator was planning on doing something with Nocturne ended up getting pulled off the book or or, or plans changed. And she never really uh, became she... like a core part of the X-Men universe. She may have even had a miniseries to herself in the main Marvel universe. So she has, a, yeah. I mean, Nocturne is a great name. She has a pretty cool power set that they are able to establish. Uh, mm-hmm. And she definitely has a, has a great look as, um, you know, the the blue skin like Nightcrawler, the yellow eyes. Um, so kind of uh, almost elfin in appearance. So I, I think there's mm-hmm. a, a strong visual. Uh, and yeah, so, so a lot of what you'd be looking for in a character in terms of uh, name, power set, and, and visual appearance is all there. Um, but uh, maybe in pulling her into the main Marvel universe, there was always that kind of secondary feeling of, well, this is an alternate dimension version of a character that prevents, I think, fans uh, from, or, or, or from, it prevents a character from feeling as important to that universe as, um, you know, characters that have been initiated in the main uh, timeline of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Um, and then we we should talk about, I mean, we have as much of um, Sunfire in these four issues as we have of Magnus. So I think we should talk about what is the role of being introduced as the first replacement. Uh, it's, it's interesting because so often with the kind of book that Exiles is, the first issue is actually like the new character coming in and seeing what the world is about. Right. You know, like you're in uh, the very first X-Men comic, it's uh, Jean Grey is being brought in uh, and discovering uh, this Xavier school for gifted youngsters is really all mutants. Uh, and, you know, that's a classic storytelling technique to introduce you to a strange world. And this one, like we as readers are there from the ground up, you know, ground floor, getting to know this strange time world with the talus and everything. And now a new character is being brought in. Uh, she doesn't, she's certainly not prominent in the first storyline that she, that she appears in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some of that is uh, because she's naturally going to feel a bit like an outsider, not knowing what's going on uh, as much as these other characters that now, at least this is their second rodeo, not their first rodeo. <laughs> um, uh, but also I, I think um, in some ways, the the main character in the second storyline is actually the Dark Phoenix storyline, right? You know, so so yeah. introducing a new character into that uh, just feels a little too extra. So they deliberately kind of kept it low key, saying this is what the cycle is going to be. When anyone dies or leaves the team, a new replacement will come in. But we're not dealing with her right now. This is really about the Dark Phoenix uh, storyline. One again, one of the the biggest storylines in Marvel Comics history. Yeah, and and a lot of that is, you know, the emotional toll on the characters who know this from from their histories. You know, they know the story, they know about the X-Men, and this is, okay, now make it make it go bad. Um, which is a challenging scenario to put your characters in. You know, take something that they know and and force them to counteract it. And Sunfire in coming in, she does still kind of feel fill in that role of what I said Magnus was feeling like, um, where it's like the energy power character. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we don't know a whole lot about this version of Sunfire, but in the main Marvel comics, Sunfire, it has a lot of fire powers, you know, and, and can yeah, he can fly, he can shoot fire. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of energy, cool visual energy happening um, with that. And uh, so we assume Sunfire is coming in is going to be filling a bit of that same role. 
Yeah. Um, and we didn't talk about the powers for um, Blink or Mimic. Blink does teleportation. So she is m- more um, about movement and strategy. You know, she's agile. Mm-hmm. And then and also Mimic, stealth, getting into places that you shouldn't yeah. be, that sort of thing. And then Mimic is um, kind of the, I mean, fundamentally, he is the jack of all trades. You know, he is multi-powered. He is... He can copy um, anyone's power. That, that's yeah. what his power is. <laughs> and and he is the kind of the straightforward powerhouse, not the same way that the brute is a powerhouse, but he is, you know, the utility player. Put mm-hmm. me in a number of situations. I will handle things. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I love how they don't really, they don't spend much time describing powers in this one, um, which is, which is, interesting i mean they they dole it out later on but in each of their introductions um they're a little bit light on the powers like you said it's not until issues three and four that we learn really anything about nocturne's powers she Mm -hmm. doesn't use them in the in the first two issues um and mimic we get a little bit i read um in my volume into the next one and at the very beginning of the next issue they give you know, the four sentence description of his powers is like, okay, I can mimic five people's powers. They're only as ha- half as strong as the original person. And I have to spend an hour close to them to make it stick. You know, otherwise it's a temporary thing. <laughs> and so he's like outlining it to morph. He's like, I've told you this before, but we're going to tell you again so that the reader can get it. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and I think that uh, it's a really fun thing to do for the characters kind of what's going to be happening for the dimensions where like, okay, here, here's the quick sketch of what you need to know. Uh, but for the characters is every time we get that quick sketch, it's like, Oh, actually that's filling it a bit more uh, for the long term mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. Uh, and so you get moments um, like morph. It's like, okay, he's a shapeshifter. And then they give you a little bit more. It's like, okay, he's kind of a fluid shapeshifter. He doesn't have bones. He doesn't have a, a body. He is a sentient mass mm-hmm. um, and all those things. And so, yeah, they dole it out. I think pretty efficiently in the first few issues. Um, Blink is the one I, and I think it's because she's spinning out from her miniseries. Like this is basically the sequel to her miniseries. They really don't give um, any explanation of her powers. They don't explain why she's carrying a quiver full of gems, crystals, I believe crystals. crystals. Yes. You know, like, but she's got, you know, the stash of crystals and that is critical to her teleportation power. I'm not really sure how, and I've read, you know, I've read a lot of Exiles, and like, yeah. I just know it's there. I recently read all of Age of Apocalypse, and it's never really explained there. She just has the never-ending quiver of crystals, and she throws them to make the portals that she can jump through. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but like, I get it, I guess. Um, yeah. That's sort of how the series goes in some ways. It's like, look, you're in this dimension. Here's your mission, like. Maybe you need to know why this dimension is different. Maybe you just need to know about the mission, but you just kind of have to go with it. I think it's a really interesting like thought experiment uh, for a long running storyline to constantly be um, exploring, you know, new secondary universes. Uh, and so we end up having to care about the core cast, but at the same time, they're they're reminding you constantly in the series that the core cast is expendable. Uh, I think in the end we get like blink uh, mimic, uh, Nocturne uh, are like and Morph is around for a really long time but uh, yeah those those four I would say are kind of the core for most of the time if not if not through the whole thing I think there might be some shifting between them mm-hmm. but um, 
and again, it, it had a good long run, but it, it, it is just interesting that this is something that we're going to invest uh, really good writing and uh, artistic talent. And uh, I remember this getting a fair amount of push uh, press wise or, or adverti- advertisement wise within, uh, you know, the combo media uh, when it was coming out. Um, and yet they're still kind of constantly hanging over it. This idea of uh, like, does the, does this count? <laughs> because mm-hmm. within, within, comics there's this whole idea of continuity and what stories count and what you know what what don't uh that is strangely flexible but at the same time fans become very invested in the rigidity of continuity um and like it's just a fascinating thing i think for this story to be simultaneously uh you know a successful 100 run issue but always like does any of this really count for continuity yeah and i think um I think there's definitely something to it that is stronger than just the what if issues. I think there's something to having this core team. So it's like, yes, we're exploring all these alternate possibilities and, and you know, the official fan fiction side of things. But we also got like this core team and we want you to like feel like the core team matters. Yeah. And I think that is a useful way to to build this exploration. And I think it's um, it's worth noting that this does not really work very well with anything other than comics or actual world history, because you just don't have the volume of content, the volume of stories to tweak here and there, the volume of, you know, what if this went differently unless it's comic books or actual world history, right? You can't like, you can't take Harry Potter and play with this for a hundred issues. Right. I mean, they, yeah, because there's only the seven books of story points and now, you know, a few additional movies. And yeah. And yeah. so it's like, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd love some Harry Potter. What ifs? it's like, OK, what if Hermione was the the champion in the Triwizard Tournament? What if Neville was the chosen one? And you can do a handful of them, but there's only so much room to to play around with it because it's such a finite universe. And when you're talking about comic books, it's such an infinite um, universe of shared canon. Yeah, and I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like other things that play with like alternate versions. Uh, Star Trek does it with the mirror universe, but then also now the Kelvin universe. But that they're pretty strictly uh, like the mirror universe is like here's the evil versions of all the characters you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're jump forward a hundred years, uh, here's still the exact same like evil versions of the characters you know. No explanation as to how their parents all still met. Uh, you know, yeah, it wouldn't make um, sense. But you just got to do that. And then with the. Um, the recent uh what they did three of the the kirk films uh with chris chris pine as kirk that is uh you know an alternate universe that is is uh tethered to the main universe through mm-hmm. through spock uh but, but and that's is, and that's only if you want to know the the deep canon about how it connects to the original series you don't have to yeah exactly um i'm thinking like a community plays with this a little bit with the the alternate timelines the episode timeline yeah um, and the darkest timeline, but it's, it's really minimal and, and really like any show that I can think of that does play with things like this. It's very limited. Um, and you just don't have things that have the, the total volume, you know, like I said, you just have to have this, this vast collection of Canon in order to be able to play like this. And I think the, the show, I mean, you mentioned sliders earlier or, or quantum leap. And those were all about like, okay, just take world history. Cause that's the only way we have enough history. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you've got the exiles and the comic books, um, even if it's just limited to Marvel comic books and you know, we're not even getting into DC stuff, but you can play with it and they can say, look, it's the trial of Jean gray. This is part of Canon. You guys know this story. So we're going to play with it. 
you know, let's go with Charles Xavier is different in this case um, or, or age of apocalypse. Charles Xavier didn't exist. And we can play with all these little things. And I know that, um, that there's plans for the, what if TV series um, to play with the MCU films. And I think that's one of the few things that it's like, okay, they've got enough to start playing with it. You yeah, know, but they, if you they, take these 22 films. Yeah, they built up enough, you know, a decade plus of storytelling. Uh, but they're, I, they're doing the the animated what ifs uh, for Disney Plus. Uh, but, with you know, with all the voice actors from from the films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, to, doing some of those tweaks. But uh, th- that is really um, one of the examples of like massive uh, popular culture that did kind of the comic book continuity storytelling on, on a scale that hadn't been uh, attempted uh, you know, in terms of budget mm-hmm. and number of films uh, that we're all going to be uh, tell- telling these these stories where you can point to so many different points uh, and say, well, what if this one story be turned out differently? And I think the, you know, the idea of the Marvel shared universe um, is something that that is required for this to work. I mean, even if you were following one character, I mean, there's 25 James Bond films, but like you wouldn't do this with James Bond. You know, yeah. like you have to have a, a deep bench of characters to pull from all of their histories to, to play with it. Well, do you have any final thoughts on exiles? We almost ended up talking more about like the idea of the kinds of stories than the characters well, themselves, I, which I think is what I think that's the, the that, nature uh, of exiles though. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I expected when we were dealing with one. Like it is a pretty unique concept. Um, and I think it was worth talking about. And it's really hard to talk about the characters knowing that, okay, it's really hard to explain what these characters are supposed to mean when you have to explain, okay, well, in the regular timeline, these are all characters. Now, in the, in each of their alternate timelines, here's how they're different. Now, let's get them together and talk about a story. So I kind of expected that we would end up dealing with the the concept to some degree uh, more than the actual team. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun series. I don't know, like, outside of, uh, you, you own some reprints, but I, I'm guessing those are out of print where they, they collected the issues. Uh, yeah, I, I picked up these collections, you know, uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, and, and I should point out, like you, you said, they did a decent push with it. I mean, I've never seen a collection like this for many of the other titles that, that I read from your collection. Yeah, um, and I was going to say, for all Marvel comics, I would recommend to any listeners who like want to maybe go dip a toe in, uh, for fairly cheap per month, you can sign up for the uh, Marvel, what's the official name of it? Is it Digital Comics Marvel, Unlimited? Marvel Comics Unlimited. Marvel Comics Unlimited. If you uh, look for that, you'll find it. Yeah, um, and it is such a large va- library of digitized uh, back issues of Marvel Comics, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of issues and um i haven't i'm not on it right now like i I, i'm not subscribed at the moment but i would imagine the entire run of exiles is on there just from the time period when it came out and what is what tends to be on there yeah and there's a lot of stuff on there that you won't find in in issues or a collection you know in any shop for a a lot uh for back issues (laughs) yeah so if you want to read Marvel comics, you know, anything as even stuff from the, the nineties and two thousands, it doesn't have to be the old stuff. If you're just, you know, looking for the stuff, that's where to go. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review that really helps us out. 
We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 18, way back, uh, when we did an MCU draft game with Todd Mack and Todd Peterson. Or episode number 220, when we had producer Andrew and uh, regular guest Mav on to talk about storytelling in the MCU. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can uh, follow at protagonistpod or at Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at this minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Remember how to do this. Two weeks off. Still got it, though. New location. New environment. First test ride in the office.